reading from John chapter 16. It says 15, but it's actually 16. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are now in our third week with this sermon, our third and final week in this sermon of Jesus's, this Last Supper sermon now uh, between uh, the, the, the supper and uh, his arrest in the garden, uh, which will happen in, uh, within hours of him saying this. Uh, this sermon of Jesus is often called by uh, commentators and readers of, of the Gospel of John. It's often called Jesus's farewell discourse, and you can see why maybe we would call it that. People would call it that um, as Jesus is preparing the disciples for his departure. I mean, he even says here, it's to your advantage that I go away. He's, he's sort of saying everything he can to prepare them for a time when they won't see him. Now, the farewell departure is a pretty good name. You can see why that is. But there's also this other sense of Jesus not just leaving, but also still being present with them in some way. Earlier in the sermon, we read Jesus say, I am going away. I am coming to you. There's this uh, dual nature of this. And so I've, I've heard other people call this kind of uh, to, uh, to emphasize this, calling this Jesus's arrival discourse, which sounds a little odd at the end of his ministry. Uh, but you could think of it as this departure and this arrival in the same way. Uh, I think John's gospel is the clearest that Jesus isn't leaving in uh, sort of the way we think maybe of Jesus leaving, where Jesus leaves and then is going to see how we do for a while on our own and then is going to come back at the end and, and give us a grade on how we did. That's kind of our normal way of thinking about Jesus coming back. But it's pretty clear here, uh, and especially in this sermon, but all throughout John's gospel, that when Jesus leaves, he is still present through this advocate, this spirit of truth, who even though Jesus has many things to say and has run out of time to say them, the advocate will continue to say these things and will actually lead the disciples and down through the ages us into all truth, Jesus says. Well, I want to focus tonight on uh, this role of the Spirit. There's two things that the Spirit is said to be doing in this passage. 
proving the world wrong, uh, which is just one word in Greek, although it sounds like a, a lot of words in English, proving the world wrong, and then leading into all truth or declaring uh, the things of Jesus. I, I kind of put those in the same category. And I want to focus on that first one because it's such a strange couple of verses. And I am very reliant on that commentary of Martin Luther's that I've been reading on this sermon, uh, especially on these few verses. So uh, if you think I just have such brilliant insights, you can credit them to Martin. Uh, that is just fine. Um, but that first word, so that proving the world wrong, this, this work of the Spirit, that, that word in Greek, I mean, proving wrong is, is, a, is a good translation. It can be also translated as accusing. It can be translated as exposing, as uh, revealing, but not revealing in like a nice way, but revealing where something is wrong. Uh, kind of the idea of that word, the best definition I found for it was uh, ex- uh, pointing out somebody's sin with the hope of correction. So it's not just accusing for punishment, right? Pointing the finger for the hopes that they get their just desserts. It is uh, pointing to a wrong for the hopes of correcting that wrong. So we could say perhaps uh, pointing to someone's sin for the hope of repentance, that repentance will follow. It's a constructive sort of revealing. That's the hope. And that's what the Spirit's doing. And then Jesus says the Spirit's doing it in three different ways, right? There's three different things about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment, exposing the world's wrong on sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so um, I want you to help me out here just a little bit. When I say sin, what are some things that come to mind? Adultery, Adultery. stealing, killing, born into, I didn't hear what doom. Okay, good. All right, what about righteousness? When I say righteousness, what are some things that come to mind? Salvation, hope, doing the right thing, grace. What about judgment? When I say judgment, what sort of things come to mind? Getting what you deserve, trouble, a decision, sheep and goats, Matthew 25, yes, and guilty. All right, so sin, righteousness and judgment. So these are the sorts of things that come to mind. Now, here's what Jesus says, and I'll just read this uh, here, what he says. Uh, So uh, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, Jesus says, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Now, you read those and you say, and this question came up in there, what does any of this have to do with anything? How do these things relate to each other at all? And this is where I really am reliant on Martin Luther's commentary, by the way. So what Jesus is saying, or one of the things Jesus is saying, is when this Holy Spirit comes, there will be a convicting, we could say, of the world. A convicting of the world and its error, a pointing out of where the world is wrong in these three areas. And what about that first one about sin? What is sin, according to Jesus here? That they did not believe in me. Now, if you go back and you read through John's gospel with this verse in mind, you can see that actually sin in John's gospel is especially this, that they did not believe in Jesus. Right at the beginning in John chapter 1, we read, he came to his own and his own people did not accept him, right? Uh, 
that sin, the root of sin is not, uh, we tend to think of, of bad actions. And, and mostly what I heard, uh, with the exception of here, born into uh, and doom, most of what we heard was, uh, and what we usually think of are the bad things that people do, or maybe the good things that people should do that they fail to do. We think of specific actions uh, that, are, that are sin, that are, that are wrong. And this is how the world thinks of sin. This is, uh, this is the way that the world thinks of sin. Things that everybody knows are bad and uh, things that people are uh, publicly shamed for when they become public, or at least uh, much of the time. That seems to be changing to some extent, but that used to be more the way that the world went, right? The Holy Spirit, though, according to Jesus, at least in this case, is concerned especially with this sin, and it's not believing in Jesus. Martin Luther says that the world's approach to sin is like uh, a tree, and I guess a bad tree, an evil tree, uh, and when you want to contain or you want to get rid of this evil tree of sin, you go and you trim the branches a bit, but you don't do anything to the roots. That what we see as sin or what the world recognizes as sin are actually just the fruits of sin, and the problem lies at the core. He says also, it's like if there's a fountain that's spewing this poisonous water, it's like building dams along the little creeks that come off of it. You might stop it here and there, and you know, you're not doing nothing, but you're doing nothing to address the heart of it. And he says that the heart of sin is misplaced trust, is not trusting in God as we ought. I've talked about this too before, that the, the problem of creation that Jesus comes to, to solve is that we don't trust God, that we haven't trusted God from the beginning, that we've gone our own way, that we've insisted on being our own lords, and that this has led to all sorts of terrible sins, of these fruits of sin. So that's the first one. The second one, then, he talks about the the Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong in regards to righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now, this is the one that is, to me, was the hardest, like, how do these things connect at all? What the Spirit is doing here is centering us not on ourselves, but on Jesus. Where does our righteousness come from as Christians? Where does our righteousness come from? Now, if you answer this from the normal perspective that we, our kind of natural answers or the world's perspective, well, it comes from us probably. It's probably something that we do, right? If you're a good person or you're not a good person based on how you behave. And this isn't to say that acting good is not a worthwhile thing, but before God, that isn't where righteousness comes from. As Christians, our righteousness relies not on our work, but on Christ's, on Christ's going to the Father. When Christ talks about going to the Father, he's not just talking about the ascension. We might be thinking of like this, you know, 40 days after the resurrection. John's gospel never tells the story of the ascension. It's all wrapped up in the crucifixion for John. John has a way of sort of pulling in these themes and pushing them all into one story, and that's what he does here. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and this includes everything that's about to happen from his arrest to his betrayal by Judas to his uh, abandonment by the disciples, Peter's denial to his crucifixion uh, and to uh, him being put in the tomb and laying in the grave and his resurrection on Easter and then his appearance back to the disciples and then the ascensions. uh, John doesn't tell the story, but that's sort of all included in this. That our righteousness is the opposite of where the world thinks our righteousness comes from. And Christians and churches get uh, pointed out by non-Christians and people who are angry with churches all the time because our righteousness doesn't match up with the world's righteousness. It comes from Christ, who's outside of us. That seems odd. It seems like a disconnect or like, why does that really matter? It's sort of abstract. But if you've ever been attacked, 
If you've ever been attacked, uh, I think, by the devil, if the devil's ever come and said to you, you are not actually one of Jesus' chosen, that you're not actually saved, that really you deserve hell, that uh, on and on and on, then having your righteousness live in Jesus and not in you is actually a great thing. Because you don't have to look very far into yourself, I imagine, to see the sins that you've committed today, right? I don't have to look very far. But my righteousness doesn't come from that. It comes from what Jesus has already done. That third thing then, judgment, that the ruler of this world has already been condemned. I already sort of alluded to this. But the way we think of judgment and the way that the culture thinks of judgment, if you ask somebody about, um, to talk about heaven and hell or what people think Christians believe about heaven and hell, it's, well, good people, right, go to heaven, bad people go to hell, that there's sort of like St. Peter's up there and he's looking at a book or something like that and there's a trap door probably. If, you didn't, if, you're, if your sin doesn't, uh, does, is, is too big and your, and your righteousness is too small, uh, that's, that's the way that people usually think about it, right? And as far as I know, just about every religion has some sort of system where you're maximizing your righteousness and minimizing your sin, and you have some time to do it. You have to do it before uh, the deadline, and I use that word uh, intentionally, right? The deadline, that's usually where we draw the line, that either Jesus is going to come back, or God, or somebody, or by the time you die, you have to make sure your righteousness is at a certain level and your sin is, is below that. They might use different words to describe that other than righteousness and sin, but that's the basic idea. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Where is the judgment? Or I should say this, when is the judgment according to Jesus here? It's not some time off in the future. It's not waiting for us to get our act together. It has already occurred. I think, especially in John's gospel, the judgment of the world happens on the cross. When Jesus goes to the cross, the world and its ruler and the the laws that the world lives by are condemned. Now, the sentence, uh, we had this earlier, Blake mentioned, the sentence has not been executed yet, at least not completely. It hasn't finished, but the condemnation has already occurred. All these three things together to me, what they do is they take us out of ourselves and they put us into Christ. Because sin now is not about how good we can be or how bad we can keep from being. It's about our connection to Christ. Do we trust in him? And righteousness now is not about the many heroic uh, good deeds that we can do and how well recognized and regarded by our peers we are. It's about what Christ has already accomplished for us. And judgment is not something we're anxiously awaiting, hoping that the scales will balance right by the time we get there. It's something that God has already done on our behalf, condemning the ruler of this world who will keep condemning and accusing us. The Holy Spirit's here and working through us and, and planting us in Christ. And I, I don't really have a good ending here. <laughs> but it's so different from the way that we have usually grow up to think, our natural way of thinking, the world, you know, we hear this, the world all the time, the culture's natural way of thinking It's so opposite that it's going to sound strange, and there's going to be accusations about it. Uh, But really, it's salvation, and it's what we have to offer that is completely unique. Um, As far as I can see, no other religion has this understanding of 
a totally external righteousness or a sin totally based on this faith or um, a condemnation that's already happened. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, well, what are you supposed to do if, they've already, if the grade's already been given? But this is what we have, and this is uh, what the Holy Spirit's leading us into. I'll leave it at that. Amen.